You're listening to All Things Video, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by Toonstar, an animation tech startup that produces snackable, interactive content for mobile audiences. To learn more, visit Toonstar.com or download the Toonstar app. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today's guests are Mark Strobelgen, co-founder and CEO, and Christopher Brereton, president and chief product officer of Thematic. Mark and Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, you guys friends? <laughs> yeah. So serious. I love it. So let's start things off. How did you guys each find your way into the media business? I got my start as an intern at Sony Music back when I was just a young lad and started working in the studio and crossing that with some of the A&R functions of Columbia and Epic Records and working with artists on artist-driven content and every newfangled imaginable format that was coming out, whether it was dual discs, CD-ROMs, uh, there was, yeah, <laughs> it was a throwback for you. So there was just this proliferation of different formats and we were trying to chop up content, create new content for these emerging formats. And so that's kind of where I was leading the charge of the West Coast operations for that. What attracted you to the music space? I was an audio engineer. Uh, I went to audio engineering school and then realized that my ears are not that good, <laughs> but I had this knack for editing. So I started editing. I did a lot of long form concerts, EPKs, a lot of the boy band stuff during the you know 90s and early 2000s. That was my sweet spot. Did a lot of stuff for Disney Channel and music artists and love creating packages and things around lifestyle for these artists so that they had a story outside of what their music was about. And to me, that was exciting to kind of create and be part of. How about you, Chris? How'd you find your way in the media space? I went the total other direction. I started as the artist. <laughs> Uh, and played in a, a crappy rock and roll band and lived in a van down by the river as the reference I keep pulling through. And while doing that was also doing graphic design and building websites for other artists and running a little merch company. And these things all sort of parlayed into a tech career later in life. And uh, that's how I ended up here. Cool. Yeah. Why tech? Man, I think, uh, I think tech is a lot like being a musician or being an artist in a band. At the end of the day, the creative process is roughly the same. There's a lot of players who have different talents and skill sets. The guy who plays drums needs to hold it down on the backbeat. The lead singer needs to be great up front. And the same thing works with the tech team. There's all those same dynamics and sort of different personalities that need to coalesce and come together to create an outcome somebody hopefully enjoys and finds value in. So you guys come at it from totally different angles. How did you two meet? So we met about three and a half, four years ago, I think at this point. I had a company called Spin Move Network, which was basically a boutique MCN for music artists. And our goal was to work in a white glove capacity with music artists and help promote them through influencers and other community aspects that were able to share their music, create attention awareness around them, do initiatives. And that was through labels and also artists themselves. So as we were doing that, I met Chris. He had a, a startup at the time that he was working on and he was asking about influencer marketing. And so we got put together and we started working on a couple of our clients that we had at the time and seeing what we could do to help his company and, and work on it that way. Nail on the head. Yeah, the <laughs> so what, what was the startup that you were working on? Uh, it was called Teamo, and Teamo was a one-to-many messaging tool, and we thought it could be a really great tool for both creators, musicians, politicians, uh, anybody that wanted to have what felt like a one-to-one -one conversation with their constituency 
through sort of a controlled UI, but it would send SMS messages as if you were getting a message from that celebrity or person in question. And that was the, the toy we were playing with when I met Mark. <laughs> I would never call it a business at this point. <laughs> I think it lasted six months end to end, but it was fun. And how did the idea was the original genesis of the thematic concept? Yeah, so the thematic concept has gone through several iterations. It really started back when I met Michelle Fon, 2009, 2010, and she was creating this amazing content, but using music in a really unique way where she was incorporating the lyrics. She was really being a music supervisor and soundtracking her content in a way that I hadn't seen before on YouTube. So it was really interesting to see how the traction for these artists started to pop up and it was a great music discovery idea at that point. So, and she would work very closely with the music artists, even having them in their content and also doing meet and greets and going to their concerts and making it more of a full experience. So that got my attention and we started working with some of our indie artists that we had and even creating some music specifically for her content and started to get a lot of attention around some of these artists and show that there was sticky and the community rallied and so the artist was happy and they were like hey when can i get my song in another influencer's video and how can we continue this so that was really the genesis of like hey wait there's something more here and this is kind of the new music promo model so that was kind of the genesis of the concept of what thematic could be so when i started spin move network that was the strategy in terms of music discovery, but then how do we take that audience and truly migrate it over and build a meaningful community for the artist instead of it just being like, hey, use my music and then hopefully people will see it or hear it. So that was the idea. And then a few years ago when I met Chris, it was about like, well, can we productize this? You know, here's what we've got going on. There's something great here. How can we take this, automate this process on the digital rights management, all the pain points that come along with music, as you know, all too well. And how do we make this fair and equitable for both the music artists and the content creator? And Michelle Fon famously had some pretty public uh, legal issues around rights clearances for that, music. That's right. And that was, I think in her mind, was really her impetus to not ever have another creator go through what she went through. So I was coming more on the artist side in terms of experience and then her on the creator side. So we wanted to make this safe haven for both sides. How did you and Michelle meet back in 2009? Yeah, I was working with her manager at the time. Again, I was doing mostly my independent label stuff, just getting into the YouTube world, started Spin Move Network, and then you know worked with Michelle in a very you know, I would say preliminary stage of like, hey, let's, I love that artist. Or she would come to me and say, hey, do you know this artist over here? Can you get access? Can you find the manager? It was just stuff like that. And it just kind of kept growing. And then around 2012, 2013, when the first Google original programming initiative came out and they were giving grants out, Michelle started this network called Fawn for All Women Network. And then Warner Music Group had started the Warner Sound, and I was executive producer for both those initiatives. So that's when we started really having a lot of fun and connecting with a lot of the Warner's roster and beauty lifestyle creators. And that's where we saw like, okay, this is scalable. This is something that needs to be happening more often. So Chris, when Mark came to you with these challenges and say, how do we productize it? What was your first thought about 
bringing a tech experience or a tech layer to this challenge? Man, my, my first thought was I get to play with music and tech at the same time. Count me in. <laughs> um, but it, it was really interesting that there was this tremendous amount of history of manual process here that we could dig into and really understand. And I could sort of break that into smaller chunks and identify where we could productize things on the front end that made life for the content creator, the music artist easier, and then also back office processing of how we handle these deals. So it was sort of an ideal combination of things for me, I think, as a tech person and as a, a former musician, to be able to pull all those worlds together and make something for these people. So today, Thematic is this creative exchange that allows influencers to use popular commercial music in their videos without getting claimed and losing the ad revenue, yep. while the artists get the benefit of this additional promotion. And most of the time, it seems getting views on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, that's all driving traffic to the real places they monetize, which is not on advertising. It's based off driving ticket sales and merch and Spotify plays. Yep. So that's kind of the whole fundamental thesis. Yeah, I mean, I think for music artists, they have a different value proposition depending on where they are in their career. Some artists that we work with who have been around, they're more legacy artists. They want to reinvigorate their catalog, continue to remain relevant. And so that's a little bit different than a new emerging artist who just wants a lot of exposure and, and have a story to tell so they can upstream themselves. So it just, just depends. And we, you know, we've been working with artists very closely, even, you know, we're a young company and we want to make sure that we're doing right by the music artists for sure. So really understanding what their value proposition is, is paramount for us. Who are some of the artists that you work with today for Thematic? Well, we have a great like roster of artists, some artists we've been working with for many, many years, like Taboo from the Black Eyed Peas. Um, we work with a lot of cobalt artists, Betty Who and some others. Um, we've been working with this girl, Tessa Violet, who people may know from Mika Kitty days. Uh, she's a YouTuber born and bred. That's Those are the artists we like to work with who have had like a lot of success on YouTube because they understand how that works and they'll come to us and say listen you know i have 60 influential youtubers that want to use my music because that's my network but i need a solution and an effective and efficient way to service that so we'll be like okay great we'll roll them up we'll make sure that they're all free and clear to use it and we'll track and monitor and give you back all those data points and then you can figure out how you want to lift from there so obviously a solution like thematic is just one piece of sea of changes, right? That's yes. happened in the music industry in the last 20 years. What are some of the other fundamental shifts that you've witnessed? Some of the things that come to mind are streaming and, you know, some of these other ways that artists fundamentally monetize and reach an audience today. And where do you see the music space going? Yeah, I think for me, it's a mixed bag. I mean, publishing is still one of those things that's a very traditional model that needs a little bit of disruption in terms to catch up with what's happening in sort of this decentralization of music and being able to be nimble in the marketplace. So that's kind of the big thing that I'm trying to, to work on. I think there's a, an opportunity to sort of disrupt that space, have music publishing companies look at things a little bit more holistically for the artist because they know one model and that's to maximize this, an asset. And sometimes it gets lost in terms of like really promoting an artist and they have catalog of an artist, so it's in their best interest to, you know, keep them keep the artist relevant and turn not maybe non-performing assets into performing assets and all these other things that would be to the betterment of both sides. One thing that's been in the, the industry trades recently around music space is the potential sale of Universal. How will that change the landscape if Universal is sold? 
Not sure. I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I guess the reason I think it's so fascinating is we see all this consolidation happening in film and TV, right? Totally. Disney buys Fox. There's been consolidation, SVOD businesses going under Time Warner, you know, all of these mm-hmm. big changes. Comcast eats the world. Yeah, in the, in the <laughs> traditional media space. And now that seems to be playing out in music as well. Is that just a, a result of software companies growing, like the, the power of Apple and Amazon and Netflix and Facebook at this point? I think there's a lot to do with the platforms that are, are growing. Spotify obviously has a distinct advantage, I think, if they want to become a label as well, though they need to play nice with the labels in the meantime. But, you know, what was it, 10 years ago when all the record labels merged into three? The last wave, we've seen this happen once before, and I think we'll see it happen again. But what the downstream impact of that creates, I think, for the tech community is opportunity. What that opportunity sort of grows into, we'll see, I think. But uh, there's, I think, room for some of these streaming platforms to have a deeper hand in how the whole business works, not just the distribution of music to the consumer. And it also seems that there are more independent paths for artists than there used to be, right? Oh, yeah, so totally. Options like Spin Move Network in the past, right? And what thematic offers to a talent that doesn't necessarily need to be signed with Big Or Cobalt, for example. You can speak to this more probably, but Cobalt, sort of this full service, everything from publishing to label services to marketing, like you don't need necessarily the old machine or the old big machine, as we used to call it. Yeah, I mean, our goal was really to take an artist, give them, get them to a place where they felt like they can partner up with a label and be true partners and onboard services that they need. So at a certain point, if you're getting traction and you need touring or you need traditional radio, then you can go out and a la carte those services and partner up with them. And then that's a true partnership as opposed to being beholden to a label and then maybe even being shelved and all these other horror stories that, you know, there's great artists and music that have never been heard. And that's, that's a tragedy, I think, for these artists. And then they never make money either. So you only really hear about the success stories and that's kind of the carrot that's been dangled, you know, for in front of these artists for so many years and that's what they go after. So in terms of universal, who knows? I think they're trying to, you know, control the whole ecosystem and by, you know, doing acquisitions or all these other partnerships, they're, they're trying to do a land grab. So we'll see how that works for the artists, but you're right, the decentralization of a lot of these, uh, you know, Chance the Rapper and a bunch of these other artists who are able to create mass amount of traction and success just from building community. And I think that's where we're starting from that philosophy. And it seems like the work that you're doing doesn't just stop at the music space, that there's opportunities for influencers to take advantage of creative assets, even beyond popular commercial titles of music. Yeah, I mean, the way we sort of think, I guess, about the mental model of the product is essentially a listing service if you break it down to its core. And the listings that we offer right now happen to be music, but we can extend that into other creative services like clip libraries that could be branded IP, like character-based things that brands want to see creators using in content and creators could get paid to use in their content. The next level of that that we keep thinking uh, is sort of a good next step for us to move into is helping the creators transact amongst themselves. So think of a creator who's... 10,000 subscribers, it's almost a full-time job for them, but not quite yet, and they happen to be a great editor. This gives us this community a tool to sort of transact and offer those services to each other as well. So it's really about sort of building the community base here around music first, but then extending that into helping the creators sort of control their entire ecosystem. So Chris, you mentioned the messaging service Teyama that you worked on in the past, and Mark you know, launched FinMove Network and have been involved in several other projects over the years. Have you two always considered yourself entrepreneurs? That's just in the DNA, what do you think? 
I never wanted to call myself that at any point, but I, <laughs> it goes back to selling like soda cans at toy shows when my dad would take me to these Hot Wheel toy shows as a kid because I didn't enjoy the toy show, so I found a way to generate an income somehow out of my little red wagon and 25 cent soda cans. So I think it's just in my DNA. <laughs> yeah. Same, my family, entrepreneurial environment growing up. My mom is very creative, started all sorts of businesses when I was a kid, even, you know, kind of the first box service that I can remember even seeing. And it was a very manual and painful type of situation before social media, but she had the right concept. I think that spirit rubbed off on me after I left Sony in the early 2000s. You know, I've been on my own and had great partners along the way and been able to build a lot. And that just comes from, you know, I think a passion to to do that. I'm a failed musician. I'm not as good as Chris, but I always had this like dream of like playing music or being on stage. And, and I think that appeals to a lot of people in terms of like, okay, what can I create? What can I do? So I think in my mind, I'm like a creative entrepreneur, if that makes sense. So that's what drives me. And that's why I think Chris and I are great fit because he's really he's got both sides of that yeah too, with the product and yeah, yeah uh -huh. i agree with that and, and just for the record i wasn't that good <laughs> <laughs> you guys got a jam sometime yeah we should. there we go <laughs> back. so mark you mentioned you know leaving sony taking the plunge to do kind of an entrepreneurial project what is the hardest part about being a first-time founder the hardest part about being a first-time founder for me was i think managing relationships and you think everybody's on you know like we have this shared passion and vision for what we want to do but then it really comes down to people and making sure that everyone is on the same page and making sure that everyone feels valued and equal and that was something that took a long time to really start to hone in on everything that i've done has been really small and you know my first partner after sony i am still partners with him on a, you know on certain aspects and so i've, I've really kept those relationships tight and then couple people at Thematic I've been working with for over 10 years. So for me, the hardest part is really building a team and scaling it. That's just not in my wheelhouse for me. And what about you, Chris? You know, I love building teams and managing teams, but regardless of feeling like that is in my wheelhouse, I do agree that that's the hardest part of any business at the end of the day is the people. And to Mark's point, you know, everyone has a shared vision and shared dream, but everyone sort of pictures getting there differently. So that's the hard thing to keep people aligned on sort of what the North Star is and the path to get there. Yeah. But that's also the fun part. So let's switch gears. I want to talk to you guys about some kind of rapid fire questions. What is something that you guys believe that maybe everyone else in the media industry might think is totally crazy? <laughs> Any strongly held contrarian views? I don't know, because, you know, that that's a tough one to answer. I don't see where... A lot of people are calling things crazy. I think everything's open for discussion. So when I was at Sony, the idea of downloading music or letting people use music for free was something that, you know, people would think would be crazy. Like, how could that bring value? But more and more, as you're seeing, like these artists are treated as brands and their product is music. So it's not unlike a makeup brand or anybody else who gives away samples or gives away music. It's kind of the same strategy in terms of marketing or music artists will go and play on Jay Leno or whatever that format is part of their promo rollout they give up something in order to gain an audience so I think now what we're seeing in digital is more of that it's more embellished there's better community and being able to control your community better and now labels are really signing artists that have been able to grasp that and I think that's kind of a, a unique 
thing that we haven't seen in a long time. Yeah, I'd second that. I think uh, a lot of probably people think our model is crazy, and <laughs> that's the thing that I think we believe in. <laughs> so, you know, to Mark's point, this idea of promotional opportunities to gain something downstream and really invest in your career by finding ways to generate distribution and build an audience and a community at scale is sort of what we're here to try to do for these artists. And I think of that in uh, sort of this mental model of when you walk down the Venice boardwalk and some guy's still handing you a CD to try and promote his music. And we're just doing that at the thousands and thousands and thousands scale and not with physical plastic discs that nobody has a thing to play them in anymore. <laughs> So yeah, I think uh, maybe people think what we think is, is right is crazy, and that's what we're believing in. What's coming next? If you had to make three predictions about the media space, what would they be? Oh, oh man. One of them, I just heard the term for this today, actually, but I really think it's very descriptive, is market networks. And what market networks are, platforms like Thematic that have uh, both the community aspects, so the sort of the social network network effect concepts at play in the product, as well as the market side or SaaS business side that help you control complex dynamic business process, right? You see that in products like AngelList is a really good example. And I think that's something we're gonna see more and more of in the, the tech ecosystem is the merger of the social network concept with the marketplace concept. And that I think is being called market networks as I've learned this morning. <laughs> Agreed, I think the community driven aspect of these companies is really the future. I mean, things don't exist without an engaged community and, you know, having the experience and benefit of working with a lot of great creators who have been able to really harness this. I think those are the new leaders for these companies. Those are the ones you want because they know how to develop and build a community. So I think that's going to be another cycle of like identifying those people. How do you identify them today? How do you find the creators that can benefit from a service like Thematic and, and evangelize your product to them? Yeah, I think, uh, again, that speaks to the network effects thing here. Creators happen to be super collaborative as a community. And we've seen a lot of people just bringing their community of other creators to the platform. So introducing this to the beauty lifestyle community first has sort of slowly rolled into new things like gaming and action sports and other verticals or communities you could label differently. But those people have naturally come in word of mouth. And we're seeing sort of the stickiness factor of the growth of this product that happens organically through those existing networks, which is a dream for a product, I think. Yeah. yeah. And you started with Fashion Beauty because I would anticipate the, the Michelle connection. Or yeah. did you just identify that that was also kind of a, a specific niche or content vertical well, that our, would help? Our partner is the queen of the beauty line. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. Uh, and, you know, early on, we had a relationship with Ipsy through Michelle as well. And they had a, a network of beauty lifestyle content creators that were providing early feedback from the very first uh, sort of even images of what the product could look like. So we sort of built this around them with their feedback from day one. And it was a natural progression for us to start there. Yeah. Yeah. I think every community uses music differently and values the music in their content differently. So for us, beauty lifestyle, for the most part, those creators are looking to monetize their content, whereas dance influencers will give up monetization in order to use a popular track to gain audience and then figure out how to monetize later. So we're really looking to the tastemakers in those communities to really be the ones that are leading the charge in terms of music and being like the new radio stations. Yeah, and to, and to that point, actually, and even rolling back to your last question, the streaming ecosystem, I think, is a thing we left out of what's coming, right? Like this live content world that's happening with things like Twitch and Mob Crush 
I think are going to sort of take the content world by storm. And things like digital rights management that exist as audio fingerprinting right now are going to have to evolve to catch real-time live broadcasts. So we're excited about exploring that space as well and having active conversations to do that. And le leveraging other technologies, whether it's blockchain, to handle those DRM issues, I think is really a kind of the future for that. When you talk about the streaming space, that seems to have grown to about, I don't know, maybe you guys probably have more updated stats than I do, but about half of the music industry's revenue at this point, right? It's kind of replaced the drop-off in physical sales that we had a decade or two ago. But is there still enough money there, right? People are worried about the long-term prospects of Spotify because the label still takes such a big percentage. Do you think Spotify successfully renegotiates those deals? Is there enough money in, in streaming to go around to all the parties in the music space? It's hard to be fair when it comes to streaming, as you know, and, and I think it's it's one of those things that we don't really get. We're, we're not at like pennies and fractional business. Like we're really about community building audience. We're agnostic when it comes to streaming. We are complementary and we're amplification and promotion. So if we're gonna work with an aggregator or a DSP, you know, they're gonna put their music everywhere. Like, hey, I'm DistroKid, give me your song and I'm gonna distribute it to everywhere. And if you wanna promote the hell out of it, use thematic. So that's where we stand in terms of working in that ecosystem. Again, in terms of fairness of the, of the artist, that's what our focus is on. Yeah, and to, to dig in on like, is there enough money in streaming, I think there is. I think there's just a big discrepancy in how the money is collected and then distributed to the artists or the writers in question. And that's where the value gap really exists. It's less about is Spotify paying enough and it's more about are the labels figuring out how to stream that royalty back to the artist in the right way. I think there's a really fractional interest of what actually makes it out of the other end of the big machine to the artist and that's the, the part I'd like to see get better. And I think to Mark's point, that's where blockchain and smart contracts really come in Absolutely. to change that, make it easier to keep track of the very complicated rights landscape that exists in the music business yeah. and make it easier for publishers, rights holders, and artists to get yeah. the money they deserve. Yeah, we think so. And, and we've actively been sort of toeing the water on some of those different relationships. And one of the companies that we love and uh, are supportive of is .bc, what Benji Rogers is doing with those uh, that whole crew over there, I think, is earth-shattering or earth-moving, maybe, in the future of uh, what happens in music royalties. And what does the future hold for Thematic? I think more to what Chris said about the creative exchange and other assets and building to different verticals. For us, it's about, on the creator side, it's really about giving them an automated creative direction tool. These creators love creating content, but they don't have a lot of time. And if we can be serving up curated you know, visuals and audio selections based upon what the content they've been creating or what they want to create. I think that's a huge benefit in what we want to do, take this company. Yeah, I think just to piggyback on that, right now it's specifically focused around YouTube and we're sort of supporting some Instagram use cases. But what's exciting about this product is it can scale both horizontally and vertically into multiple different platforms. We can move into things like Twitch and Mob Crush and Facebook and Instagram, and then we can scale vertically into different product classes or asset classes like clip libraries and branded IP alongside of music. Um, so if we can do that well, and we think we can, uh, there's a really big business to be had here to build an ecosystem for this creative economy, as we call it. Yeah. So you mentioned the focus on YouTube and some Instagram today. Mm -hmm. How do you 
stay on top of the changing platform landscape, especially given, you know, musically acquired yeah. now gets sunsetted as part of the TikTok merger. Do distribution platforms and these social media environments like musically offer additional opportunities for influencers to reach their audience automatic to help promote content from popular artists? Yeah, I think so. There's there's a number of ways that we have to stay up on all this stuff. There are things like the APIs being deprecated and new DRM tools and capabilities that we need to sort of be front runners on. But, you know, those are largely monitoring activities for us and sort of making sure that we can fit into the business models of those different platforms so that it's both beneficial to the platform and the creator at the same time. Yeah, we want to make sure that, you know, every platform obviously has a different way that they service their community and how to use the promotional aspect of each of those. So Instagram, for instance, you know, to give credit to an artist is a little bit different than YouTube. So our team is great at staying on top of that and then understanding from the music artist, like what would be the most beneficial thing for you to get out of this. So the whole idea is audience migration at the end of the day for the artists, and then they can figure out how they want to capitalize on, on that. So whether it's touring, merch, et cetera, those are all things that we're just trying to connect the dots with. Now, obviously, you guys are right in the thick of it with Thematic, uh, having just done your official public launch at VidCon this year. But one of the questions I ask all the entrepreneurs that come on the show is, if you were starting a business in the digital media space today, knowing everything that you know now, what would you do? And just really the question <laughs> is to try and identify, you know, for other entrepreneurs out there, what is the white space that you see? What are the exciting opportunities in this landscape that, uh, that you keep an eye on? You want to take that one? Sure. I mean, <laughs> I think it goes back to what I was saying about publishing. I, that's just something to me, I think, needs something to just, you know, I hate using the word disrupt, but it's an opportunity there to, to take that model that's been so traditional in the past and really kind of unwind it a little bit and look at it differently. I think syncs and everything else really undervalue the artist sometimes. And I, I think that if I were to start something, it would be more focused on maybe changing that a little bit. No, I think the publishing thing is probably the the right landscape that uh, buzzword friendly disrupt is uh, relevant to. I think that's where some of this streaming rights and royalties and things can be applied early in the process and sort of circumvent the black box that is sometimes the record labels. And where can people find out more about the two of you and more about the Mac? We have everything is at Hello Thematic and we're on LinkedIn. I'm, I think it's just linkedin.com slash Christopher Brereton, I think yours is Same, Mark Trollgen. Yeah. <laughs> you can spell it, you can find it. Yeah, um, yeah hellothematic.com, and you know, where you have a public beta out, and there's a we have a wait list going, and so the reception's been really awesome. But you can learn about the team, what we're doing, and kind of our two sided marketplace of supporting artists and creators. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, encourage all the influencers out there that are looking for great music to, to put in their content to check it out and learn more. And for artists, it's a phenomenal new way to kind of get embedded in these growing communities with a big audience and kind of take their careers to the next level. So really exciting what you guys are up to and uh, appreciate you taking the time to share your experience coming from such different backgrounds and applying it to you know, the future of the music business to start and, and beyond uh, in the future. Great. Thanks, James. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another edition of All Things Video. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time. A reliable Wi-Fi connection is as vital as your wallet. With Skyrim, you won't be trapped in a cafe or wander for Wi-Fi again. 
For work or fun, the Solus 4G LTE Wi-Fi hotspot has you covered with fast Wi-Fi across the U.S. and in 130 countries. And with its built-in power bank, devices stay charged on the go. Get data by the day, month, or gig. No contracts. Go to skyroam.com slash techpod to save 20% off a of Solus with code techpod20. Business Insider calls it a must-have travel gadget. Visit skyroam.com slash techpod. Offer code techpod20.